This copyrighted podcast of the James Perspective has been paid for and funded by James M. Wilkerson. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this podcast are a permutation and combination of words and sentences used in this podcast without the express written consent of James M. Wilkerson and the James Perspective is strictly prohibited. Welcome to our listeners today. Um, podcast today's going to be James and the Giant Preacher. As you know, we speak of non-secular things on these days. As you know, Jim is in seminary, and he has a project that he's going to be doing that involves something called the Nag Hammadi, the Nag Hammadi, in Egypt in 1945. Some are using that to say that there's some alternative gospels. And going into this, we knew that this was not going to be a preparation for ancient history, that it was more going to be a philosophical as to what is determined to be a gospel. But of course, sometimes we delve into things that we don't really intend to. And it, both for Jim and I, we got into some areas that were what I call cobwebs, things we've read maybe 15, 20 years ago. We're going to keep it in there, even though we missed some things. Basically, basically where we missed, um, most people aren't going to notice it. But we missed um, Marcion. We said he was, or, or however you pronounce his name, we're not even sure it's pronounced his name. I think it's Marcion. He was, it was not related to Arianism. I think we were kind of getting those conflated. Um, he was a dualist, but he was not a, a Gnostic either. We got that apparently wrong. And Arianism was much, much, much after Marcion. Um, I think that if you listen to it, you're going to see we were trying to work through and jog our memories. And I think this, if you will look at it as a fun thing, you're still going to, the philosophy or the, yeah, the philosophy of how you should be or approaching this from a theological standpoint is still valid. The history is a little bit off, but I, but I think if you'll have fun with it, you'll see how uh, I reared my kids. This was a typical conversation we would have at, at our dinner table. And we don't pull out the internet. We don't pull out our phones. We just try to work our, our minds through things that we haven't thought about in a long time. And what that does is it forces us to to really think hard, to jog our memory. Then we can go back later and look and see what we missed. Well, we won't miss this. Those things will be things that will be solidly in our mind. And I also am about to go back and read Edwin Gibbon and his what his he says about history between the year zero and 100, because I think we're going to be focusing a lot on that. So anyway, enjoy the podcast. Just understand that if you're listening to this podcast, don't listen to it for accuracy of history in this particular podcast because it was not intended to be. It was intended to be a fun discussion and to jog our memory, but to apply whatever we came up with as to whether or not those gospels found in Egypt should be counted in the canon of scripture. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. Got Jim in, on with us again today. And uh, is it raining in Dallas today? It is. And so you have no car, so you're going to be walking a few blocks to the to the school in the rain. Yeah, but I have a frou frou umbrella. Okay. Ooh, is it uh-huh. is it pink? It has yeah. uh, flowers on it. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, that means you're qualified to lead our country in the military. <laughs> <laughs> And we got Glenn. He's he's uh, he's holed up in 
in Bossier City. His wife doesn't like him driving in the rain. I don't blame her. You've seen driving. If you've seen him dry in the dry weather, you know. <laughs> you know why? No one wants to be driving in the rain either. So. <laughs> but Pastor Pastor Chris braved it all the way from Vernon, Louisiana, to come here to podcast High Top, Ruston, Louisiana. That's right. And uh, and I'm here. Um, you know, I will say that the topic that was picked today is picked by Jim. That's why we're going to let him lead it and start it off. But I will say it sounds interesting to me. Um, I don't, I can't, I can't say that I, I know enough about that particular period in history to, to debate with somebody in seminary. So I'm going to let you, let it ha- let you have it. You know? Well, here's the problem. I won't be able to fake it. If I try to fake like I know something, he'll be able to turn, turn me upside down. So we'll, we'll let Jim talk. <laughs> yeah, well, I was planning on using this podcast as the soundboard for ideas for my research project this semester on this topic. And so that's all this is going to be today. And so selfishly, I'm using you guys. Yeah, but I'm going to be interested in that paper. The paper, fine. The paper is going to be orthodoxy between zero and one. Say 100. this again. So your paper is going to be orthodoxy between uh, year zero and 100? Uh, essentially, yeah. Right. It's going to be first century Christianity. I'm interested in that. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to, you know, it's going to be interesting. I'll tell you what's going to be interesting about that is because the only only person I've learned that from has been Gibbons and and Gibbons has been completely uh, destroyed in that, that part of the history, the the, the period you're talking about. So I'm going to be very interested Mm -hmm. to see that. What is, what is a, okay. So I'll introduce the topic that I'm interested in hearing about Gibbons, what he says. Well, I wasn't, wasn't supposed to have anything that was to contribute to that, Chris. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I knew that you would. It's not over yet either. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how I can yeah, do so, from memory. And so, anyway, I'll, I'll introduce the topic, and then I want to hear what Gibbons says after I introduce the topic. So, the paper that I'm going to be writing this semester is on Walter Bauer's thesis in the mid 20th century. He wrote this in 1964 on the discovery of certain texts that were found in Egypt, specifically Nag Hammadi, Egypt. And you'll see those terms if you research this uh, Nag, Nag, Nag Hammadi, N-A-G-H-A-M-M-A-D-I. This was where various alternative gospels were found. And these gospels have uh, Gnostic writings, Gnostic ideas in them. And so the idea presented by Bauer is that in the first century, you did not have just the orthodox position that all Christians hold today. What you had in reality was a variety of Christians uh, who existed side by side with each other, no one position claiming more authority than the other. And so am I making sense so far? So far. So far. Okay. And so... Uh, obviously, this has been challenged by uh, Christians today as far as the legitimacy of his claim. And uh, this is something that I'm going to be researching this best because obviously coming from a position that I've been in the past, I have a, I, I have a view already 
that opposes his in the sense that he believes that orthodoxy emerged whenever centralized authorities imposed it on the larger population in the second century, specifically by Irenaeus. And so if you, if anybody has listened to the podcast in the past, you'll see that that sort of theory of power doesn't mesh well with me, at least, and how I see power and authority, especially in Central America, that that's just not the way power works. That's not a stabilizing power. Those sorts of uh, power structures tend to fall rapidly. But what we see with Christianity is a stabilized authority that persists not only for centuries, but for millennia, that this orthodox view has held in place for a very, very, very long time. And so rather than seeing a centralized authority imposing its will on the larger population and that population reacting by saying, no, you're out of your mind, we're, we're not following you. What instead you see is everybody getting on board with Irenaeus. And so am I making sense so far? So far. Yeah. So anyway, I'm going to be pretty much testing my view against Walter Bowers this semester uh, by studying the missing. It's called they're called the Austenic Gospels or the Lost Gospels or the Missing Gospels, depending on who you're reading. But uh, that's sort of that's sort of the idea. Now, what does Gibbons say about it in the first century? You know what? I think you need to go on with it first and then let me. Remember the. This, I'm not. I'm. I am not prepared to give a, a, a summary of what he believes, but I do believe, as you mentioned it, I will remember what he said about a particular topic. So, okay. All right. So I'll go on with it. The. So again, these texts were discovered in 1945. So it, by historical terms, this is a very recent discovery, and. There's a tendency by historians to get very excited about discoveries. Um, and so the Nakamati texts, initially, whenever they came out, were the big show. And historians took these texts as evidence of, like Walter Bauer said, as evidence of alternative Christianities existing side by side with each other. However, on the face of it, there are immediate problems. Uh, the first is, we don't have any evidence in the New Testament writings in Josephus, in Philo of Alexandria. We don't have anything in their writings suggesting that these alternative gospels or alternative Christianities were around at the time. And I know that that's an argument for silence, but that is that is a strike, even if it's a weak strike, against the claim. The second is the problem of dating. So these writings have clear Gnostic ideas in them. And if you're going to argue that Gnosticism existed alongside Christianity, you would have to argue a developed Gnosticism existed in first century A.D. And that is a problem among historical circles. Gnosticism as a developed religion, well, religion, you could call it religion or philosophy, uh, it, it had an idea of the supernatural, so or the spiritual realm. So it properly is called a religion. Um, that developed idea of Gnosticism 
uh, came about in the second century. And so a lot of these texts are dated in the second and third centuries by a large majority of historians for good reason. And the, uh, I'm trying to think, there are, there are several other problems as far as the manuscript evidence goes. So a lot of the manuscripts that we have today are in Egypt. And the reason for that is because Egypt provi- provides a uh, good climatic environment. All right, where, I, need to, uh, I need you to back it down and put it, put, it, put it on bottom shelf for a few things for us. I want to make okay. sure I want to make sure I understand. I think I do, but you're flying. You're flying through it. At yeah. least it seems to us, at least to me. All right. First thing you're saying is that these writings, they were found. All right. And, and these writings, they're able to decipher, I assume, or you wouldn't be talking about them. And they're the, able to decipher. You're able to be, understand. We're able to interpret. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Then, then the next thing is, is that there are things in these alternative gospels. When you call them alternative gospels, there are things that go that that are maybe different from the the gospels that we recognize. Yes. So uh, the reason there are, the alternative gospels is just nomenclature that or is a name used for these gospels by historians to differentiate them from the four traditional Gospels that we have. But they also are differentiated in the ideas presented in the Gospels. So that's what I'm asking. Okay, so that's, mm-hmm. the, big, that's yeah. the big issue here, is, is that there are, these people, there are people claiming that these alternative doc, uh, Gospels are showing that in first century Christianity, people were already disagreeing with the Gospels that we accept as part of canon. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and Gnosticism there were, the first there were alternative Christianities existing side by side in first Christ, in, in the first century. Okay, so the first issue you're seeing is different, is not. Yes. Okay. And so, uh, like these texts are Gnostic, and everybody essentially dis- uh, everybody essentially agrees on that point that these texts have Gnostic tendencies, and that's why. They're dated later than the first century texts, okay. um, and pretty much everybody agrees on that. There are some there are some people who diverge from that consensus, such as uh, John Dominic Crisan. He dates the Gospel of Peter to even before the Gospels, but nobody holds to that view. He's very much an outlier on that. Well, let me let me stop you again, though. I know that regular listeners to this podcast don't know what Gnosticism is, but someone may tune it in. May have never mm-hmm. heard it. What are, what are you referring to when you say that? So I I guess if you're going to take something away from this, as far as the difference between traditional Christianity and Gnosticism, Gnosticism was a dualistic religion, meaning that the spiritual realm and the fleshly realm do not inter, or do not combine. Like those are two entirely different realms, and no one crosses from the fleshly realm to the spiritual realm, like the flesh and the spirit are always separated. And so the tendency in Gnostic Gospels is not to present Christ of the flesh, but a highly exalted Christ who never uh, who never was human in the first place. Well, doesn't, doesn't the Apostle Paul ad- address some of this in some of his writings or... Or am I wrong in that? 
So as far as Gnostic tendencies, you will, there is a, it's, there's, there's a historical position that a developed Gnosticism existed in the second century. And you can see traces of this in the Gnosticizing Judaism uh, of the first century. And so there are, uh, how would I say it? There are a diverse, independent sources of Gnosticizing Judaism that we can see in the first century. But these are largely unorganized and very much so in the minority in the first century. Um, and, the, and where we get this is uh, the writings that we have discovered in the uh, in certain Qumran uh, caves and also just seeing it in Paul's writings, how much of an effect did this have on the broader population? Not much. Right. And that, that, mark, that part given would agree with. But let me ask you this. Is the importance, and I'm, I'm not sure, I think I know the answer, but I've not heard it from you. Is the, per, is the reason Gnosticism, one of the things that Gnosticism would, would say is there was no resurrection? Uh, yes. No resurrection of the body. Of the body. So, the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, and and, so, and, even, and, and even, would, even the crucifixion, if I now I'm starting to kind of remember that, and that's what I thought would happen. It would, it would, it would make me remember some things that, that, that there were people who believed that Jesus really wasn't on the cross; that he was, that that was a what was that? How did they say that? The Gnostics worked that out some way. They don't deny that that event didn't happen. They deny that that Christ was ever that there was ever a hypostatic union. Yeah. So you, what you're referencing, I believe, is the Gospel of Peter, where. Uh, Peter is looking at the cross and there is uh, Jesus' body that's on the cross, but Jesus' spirit is above the cross laughing. There it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you'll see that in the Gospel of Peter. Okay. Yeah. And so all this is to say is that the Gospels, the Gospels that were found in Nagamati are dated to the second and third centuries because they have an explicit and clear Gnosticism in them that just was not present in the first century. And it would be difficult to date them to that point. Well, when did Paul write? Paul wrote in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Okay, so Gibbon is definitely going to say that he was influenced by Gnostic writings. Yeah, know. and historians would agree as far as there being some semblance of Gnosticism in the first century. But the difference is uh, the centralization and development of Gnosticism of the second century versus these, um, like, again, there, there are hints of Gnosticism. There were the uh, beginnings, the, the beginning points of Gnosticism, but they weren't developed and they weren't, organized they never really did become organized if you go read these gospels at Nagamati, you'll still see different gnostic ideas that really are not interconnected with each other gnosticism never developed the unified orthodoxy that christianity did it was always a diverse uh, it was always a diverse religion which is why it's difficult sometimes for historians to define gnosticism 
is because it is a very diverse ideology, but it, and, and it never had the same unified structure that Christianity had. All right. So a Gnostic, uh, a Gnostic would deny that the person, the Gnostic person thinking. So not, I'm a Gnostic. Let's say that James is a Gnostic. Am I going to deny that I'm both spirit and body? Um, so I'm not necessarily sure. I think that you, I think that you're going to deny that the that your spirit is. All right. I don't know. All right. Let me, I really let me, don't know. All right. Let me, yeah. let me say how I understood it. I wasn't expecting that question. Well, let me, well, you're bringing it up. The um, here, here's, here's how I understood it, and I could be wrong. I'm, I'm going to be excited about you going through this. I really am because it's a, it's something that that I've that I've struggled not struggled with, thought about. It. And and when you go to the Zoroastrians, who you know was an ancient religion, they were dualistic too, and so you start seeing similarities by any dualism type of good or bad, you know, force of good and force of evil. That's all one. I mean, it's a weird thing, right? But what I what I gathered from the, the Gnosticism that I saw in Gibbon's book. The kind of fall Roman Empire, by the way, we're talking about. To me, what I got from it was that we have material and we have spirit, but that spirit is the, is the is the frequency, the, the the level you want to be focused on. That anything that you do in material bodily is slow frequencies and slowing you down. Now I'm mixing Zoroastrianism with Gnosticism to get that conclusion. But that's how I kind of, when I'm, when someone immediately brings up Gnosticism or Zoroastrian or any other, we had a few others in, in, in the middle ages that, that arose. Um, the, um, get it out here in a second. The, um, who was it that got, I'm always laughing about it because they got, they don't believe in uh, marriage. They don't believe in marriage. I think I can't remember what it was, but anyway, Going back to it, you don't. The reason I'm asking this is, is, is what is it in those books, those those alternate that that they're saying is 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 um, Gnosticism for that time. Yeah, like again, it's that the spiritual realm and the fleshly realm are not one; they exist side by side with each other, and so. Wait, 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 Jim, Jim. I, I was trying to focus and get it. Say it again, please. The spiritual realm and the fleshly realm are two different spheres that exist side by side with each other, but they they're not one sphere. And so that's why it's difficult for me to say, are you spirit and body? It's like you are, but those two things are not the same. And so for Christianity, spirit and body are in one realm. And that's why the resurrection differs from Hellenistic and Gnostic ideas of spirit and body resurrection involves both the spirit or the soul and the body whereas gnosticism would find that absurd well i've always seen that uh, uh man woman humans are spirit soul and body what's the, what's right. what, what's well, the problem so, with that so yeah that's that's the christian view yeah. that's been the christian view since its origin okay mm -hmm. That's been the orthodox view. How about that? So that 
anybody listening here that thinks that there's alternative Christianities doesn't think that I'm starting off with the conclusion that there weren't. So orthodoxy, the traditional orthodox view, holds that uh, there's soul and body existing in one realm and that it's all part of God's plan and that there's one realm that that consists of all of it. Yeah, Whereas wait. dualism sees a dualistic God, a dualistic uh, a, a dualistic view of the universe to where the matter is bad and the spirit is good. Yeah. Like things like that. Right. Now let me say this, that the, again, I, I do one, one thing I think that given is going to agree with you and I'm going to go back and read this stuff. since I know you're studying and I want to go back and read that closely. I knew I was going to anyway, but now I've got motivation. Here's what I kind of remember. He was talking about philosophers sitting there talking to each other, not something that, you would go out and find that the horseshoe maker was going to talk about, you know, the person who was out there in the street wasn't going to be talking about these things. Now they were in the early century. You could go to a, a, a blacksmith without them telling you that the, the father and the son were one or trained, that kind of thing. They were definitely being mm-hmm. taught, taught something, right? But they were not being taught um, um, Gnosticism, but the Gnostics that, the, the, the Gnostics, you know what? Now that I think about it, he was more talking about the Neoplatonists than he was the Gnostics. He talked about the Gnosticism, but it wasn't what you're, I remember now, a, a completely different form of Gnosticism is what you're talking about than what was going on during what Gibbon was writing about in the first century. Now that I think yeah. about it, you're right. It was not, it was not, it was not, neither one of them were mainstream. Yeah, and, he and I'm using the arbitrary qualifier uh, developed in front of Gnosticism because that's what we're talking about whenever we're talking about the second and third centuries, where these ideas come into full force. They exist in writings, and we see these gotcha. writings. I got gotcha. We can tell we can tell uh, certain things about them, but even then, all right. So one thing that we also have to make clear is that even in the second and third centuries, Gnosticism was not majority. Gnosticism was not a big minority. It was a it was a it was the strongest alternative to Christianity, I believe. But it was that does not mean that it was equal. It was on equal footing with Christianity at that time. Like, let me just put this into a ratio. I'm not saying that this ratio is accurate, but let's say that uh, Christianity was 80 percent of the population. Gnosticism was 20 percent of the population. That just means that Gnosticism was the best alternative, even though it wasn't anywhere near close to being the same, having the same popularity as Christianity. I got it. It's sort of like Trump mm-hmm. gets 80% of the vote right now in the Republican <laughs> Party, and Haley gets, she gets 20%. Well, well, <laughs> well Jim, uh, do you feel like uh, what you've studied, that some of these other religions that are out there, apart from Christianity, that they have Gnostic views? Yeah, I would say that there that there is a strong, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? There's a strong tendency among the human population to separate the two spheres, yes. Dualism, is, it seems to be a natural thing. You know, you know who developed it the most? Again, I brought him up a little bit. Who developed dualism the most was the Zoroastrians. It, they, they, he went after Zoroaster. Went after he he wrote a lot on it, and, mm-hmm. it, and it, you can easily buy into this stupid thing too. It's easy to because 
you see evil because evil exists. But 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 what I guess I'm getting from Jim is, and I'm trying to get it, Jim. I'm asking questions, not to for any other reason trying to understand it. But if I'm getting this right, the importance of this is that if you are a dualist, then the hypostatic union, Christ becoming man, man, but God, but Christ remaining God, that hypostatic union, that, that miracle, that, that mystery, we, that you can't have that and be agnostic. Right. You can't have that. And that prevents the, the, the bodily death and resurrection of Christ. It's a huge thing. It's not a little thing. We all do agree that we need to recognize that there's good and evil. But you got to understand how God did it, and God did it by taking on the form a little lower than we are in body, accepting that penalty of our sin in body, and then resurrecting in body. And if you if dualism stops you from that, it's an evil. That's an evil in itself, right? Am I getting it? Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's that's my understanding of it. Now I'm no Gnostic es- expert, but I plan on at least having an idea of it. Whatever I'm finished with the semester. Well, let me finish. The, um, I'm reading on the, the, the ancient Greece dramatist. You let me finish that. Uh-huh. I promise that the next thing I'll read will be given. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that would be interesting <laughs> to see what he says about it. Now, when did Gibbon write? Gibbon wrote, he, he, he finished his first volume in 1776. That's how you remember. It was the same year. Oh, that well, we, he, would, he would have known about the knockout. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He's writing. Yeah. He, he, yeah, he's writing on what the form of Gnosticism was that was very theoretical, very small, both that and Neoplatonist. That's what he was writing about. But he's been disproven on it, Jim, so I've got to go back and read on it and find out what he got wrong. And yeah. it may be that yeah. they're wrong because they're trying to pick up those Egyptian books. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I think that that's sort of the mainstream view at this point in time among secular scholars is that in the first century there were competing Christianities and orthodoxy just eventually won out. Now, how exactly it happened, we we can't really get a good thesis on that except for Walter Bauer, who again, this guy's a huge figure. A lot of people go off of his thesis, even though they see weaknesses on it. So, Well, now I'm ready to give the thesis again because I didn't understand it the first time. Now I'm following you. What's his thesis? So it's, yeah, so two theses or two main points support his thesis that alternate Christianities existed in the first century with equal footing. Oh. Uh, the first, the first one is that, um, man, now I lost. Oh, that Rome exerted its influence on the larger population uh, of Christianity and essentially wiped out the alternating. Uh, the, the alternative Christianities, if that makes sense. So uh, you have alternative Christianities. Rome emerges as the authority and completely gets rid of those other Christianities. And then the second thesis is that orthodoxy was largely confined to Rome. So there are like, but these, these I'm trying to figure out well, all right. So early in the podcast, you said something to the effect of, you know, me, I'm going to disagree with that. And, and I, I took that to mean that it's that same thing is, is that 
we couldn't have had 2020. We couldn't have had the lockdowns. We couldn't have had the mask mandates of all that if we weren't ready as a nation to, to, to consent to that, that they couldn't push that on us. If we don't now, I think they would have trouble doing it. I think they would have a lot of trouble closing this down because people wouldn't consent again. And I have followed that theory. I agree with it to some extent if you're talking long term. But I think mm-hmm. short term, you can get churches to shut down. I think that it's possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so when you look at that, when you're talking about that era, era, and they, we started developing, I mean, really getting theories on what did Paul mean, what did Peter mean, all of these things on, on, on things such as transubstantiation for things like, um, did did the Father did did this Holy Spirit proceed from just the Father? Or did he proceed from the Father and the Son? All of those things did happen in that time where the Catholic churches, East and West, were arguing, and those things definitely became solid at that time. What I guess I'm asking you is: Are you saying that that didn't happen the way I just described it? Or are you saying it couldn't have happened? Well, people- I wouldn't say that you're that those views are what orthodoxy is and so or transubstantiation that's not uh that's a maybe a core catholic belief but whatever i'll talk about orthodoxy it's trinity resurrection of christ as far as bodily resurrection goes that 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 initiated god's eschatological plan so uh, it's a very core group of ideas that like that that exclude what you just talked about Okay. And so all Christians, so that's the thing that we're discussing here is did Christians believe that in all regions? And the answer is yes, the writings indicate that. And so regardless of what they believed about transubstantiation and these other, like whether the Spirit came from the Father and the Son, that's not what we're talking about with Orthodoxy. What we're talking about with Orthodoxy are, are a very, very few number of core beliefs that all Christians held. Yeah, I, I think I get it. I think I get it. So what you're saying is all these deaths occurred over those silly things like transubstantiation. Not silly. Maybe they're important. But where does the Holy Spirit proceed from? There were people died over that. Uh, is, was, was, but, but I will say this. There was argument at that time as to whether or not Christ was actually God or was he the son of God. You know that that's true. And all well, of that, that, was, that was Marcion. And, and again, I don't. Like you and I are going to disagree if you say that Marcion's views were popular. I think he. I People think were dying smart. over it, Jim. It, yeah, but I think that you and I are going to disagree on that, that it was popular. I will, I will go back and read that, but everything I've read about Marcion is that he was very much in the minority. People could have, people could have died over that, but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that that was a majority view, or, or not a majority view, but that was a popular view. All right, so, so we're, when, when, when they were banishing. Orthodoxy to Egypt, and during that time, where the people that controlled uh, controlled uh, Constantinople, uh, you know, Saint Sophia, all you know, where they were worshiping there, wasn't in the Eastern Orthodox uh, ministry or whatever you want to call it at the time. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm going from memory. They were claiming that they were claiming that Christ was not God; he was the Son of God. That's what they were claiming, and that's what they and, and there were emperors who bought into that. Uh, so, right. so there had to have been a substantial number of people who went that direction. 
but it, that was long after Paul and whatnot. I don't. I'm not saying that anybody was arguing that during the time of Paul or Peter or any of the original. That was something that came later, but they did do it later. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's, like, where, that's, no, no. that's where that's where the where the um, Jehovah Witnesses come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the Jehovah Witnesses are very much in the minority. Now, so yeah. you could have a Mormon, you could have a Mormon governor like in Massachusetts or wherever he was. Um, and that doesn't mean that Mormonism is popular in Massachusetts. That just means you have a Mormon governor. And because people are dying doesn't make it the majority. The Branch Davidians were not the majority. And so there are things that happen, and it's tragic, but the question remains is whether these ideas were majority ideas. And I think that the, like, what I've read on Mark, yeah, I've never, I've never, um, or Martian is, is called that, but what I've read on Martian is, um, that he was a majority view or, or a minority view, even though I haven't researched it well. I just know that in, gla- in, in passing reading on skeptical and Christian scholars, Martian was not considered a very uh, popular view. Okay. I'm not, at this point, at this point, I'm going to continue in my mind to disagree with you, but I'm going to yield to you because you're 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 up. You've been studying it more recently than I have, but I. I have I have thought that it was a close call which way that was going to go. I Gnosticism really, is held as the more popular view than Martian. That's that's what I'll say. Is is Gnosticism is seen by modern scholars as being more popular than Martianism or however you say it, and that Gnosticism wasn't anywhere near the majority. Even Gnostics considered themselves the few among many. All right, you're saying that there was not a time where it was close call. As to whether we were going to say that Christ was God or the Son of God, correct. And okay. even whenever, like, like you could say that Constantine threw his weight in that argument um, that they had at uh, where did Athanasius meet Mar- Martian and discuss this view? Uh, he might not have met him personally, but there were three bishops among like three hundred or whatever who went with Martian, and then the rest of them went against them. Hmm. Okay, that, so, definitely, that definitely does not it come even close to comporting with what Gibbon reports. Just letting you know that. Not even close. Okay. Not, now, I'm not, right. I'm not saying he's right. I can't wait to read this to compare it because I don't care to be. I don't care. Well, which, which, which council was it that Constantine went to in and we we talked about this before, and it was pretty much the idea that he was there with his sword as a threatening force, and so it kind of tilted the votes one way or another. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was the first uh, council of Nice, I believe. Uh, but I, but I, again, I'm again, you're, you're asking me to look. At, I haven't looked at this in a long time, and I need to I need to go back and stretch it. But I can tell you that that impressions don't leave me. I might forget specifics, but I don't. And you know that about me all along. Right, I'll go, right. I'm not ready to argue specifics. I will say this, that Gibbon is going to say, no way. He's going to say it was a close call. Right, but I don't know what the evidence is for that. Okay. Because, because what I'm saying is that whenever, like, the impression that I got whenever we talked about that uh, Council of Nice, they were, they were discussing Martianism. 
Yes. But they might have been. And so that's not what they called it. So they called it. What is it? What's the word I'm looking for? What is it? People who don't. I I know what what Chris is going to say. Condemned to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But denying Christ as God is 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 something that we have a hard time even imagining. But they did. Yeah. And so, like, the the theory could be that Constantine threw his weight in that council, but there were only three who voted for Martianism. And so you can't like there's nothing that's indicating that Martianism was popular. It it drew a strong reaction. I think it was because Martian was a bishop. And so it definitely drew a reaction, but it wasn't. um, It doesn't mean that that reaction suggests that this was a very popular view. What I think it suggests is that Martian was a high ranking official that the church had to respond to. All right. Well, let's remember this. I think it's Arianism is what we call it now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now I want to say this, that it's that, that we want to clarify this, that you're, you're acting like he, he that Constant, Constantine accepted Arianism at that time. He didn't. He, no, I never, I, I never said that. He accepted Orthodox. Okay. He yeah, accepted Christ. Saying. All right. Then he didn't. Now, back then, they were afraid that if they committed some type of a moral sin, like adultery or something like that, they were afraid they'd go to hell. So they would wait until the last minute to get baptized at that time. Or he did for sure. Constantine did. And when he got baptized, he couldn't get find or couldn't get an Orthodox priest there quick enough to baptize him and, and wash away his sins, which... And so he did it with a, an Arian, a, a Marcion, a, a person who didn't believe Jesus was God. He that's who baptized him. So, so I, it's an interesting topic. But, but I want to say this: what's more interesting to me is not that it's it's the Gnosticism. Period. I'm, I I know he talked about that, and I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. Now, real quick, I like I the reason I was saying that Constantine threw his weight around at the council is that the idea is that he was an Orthodox Christian throwing his weight to the bishops and making sure that the bishops voted Orthodoxy. And so that's why I was saying that people have argued that he he essentially skewed the votes at that meeting, but regardless of whether he skewed the votes, there's no positive evidence that Martianism was a widely popular idea. Like that, that, that it was something that was actually legitimately competing against Christianity. It drew a strong reaction from Christianity because it's like having someone who is in your company or in your government who's a high-ranking official that decides to go a different direction, and you have to respond to that. But I don't, I don't think that it was a legitimately. I, I, um, I think I can ahead. summarize it for you. It, it was a. It might have been a close call as to which way the church went, but they were trying to enforce it by gun, by gun, would be a point, sword point at the time. And if there are otherwise, it would not have been accepted. And I think I, I think I can go with you on that. I think that well, Arianism. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say that it was a close call, but yeah, you could say that. Well, I, I, there's you know I'm gonna I'm gonna say that even into the 400s, when they were starting to write the Bible in language of the Baltic. Countries or not Baltic, um, was Yugoslavia Baltic, Yugoslavia and whatnot? Yes, those countries when they were starting to convert it into those languages, it was closest to which which version they were going to go with, whether it was going to be 
and Arian is our orthodox. They were still struggling with it, but maybe you're right. Maybe I just took the fact that it wouldn't die, and it hasn't died. It's still out there in the, in the form of of, of um, Jehovah Witnesses. Um, it was it was a close call as to which way these churches were going to go. But maybe you're right. Maybe I need to go back and with with the idea of saying could this minority, and I think that's that way now. I think a small minority of communists make a lot of noise. And a, and a small minority of Aryan Marcians, Marcians, they they may be making a lot of noise. Yeah, yeah, and there were Mark, there were Aryan Aryanists. Uh, is that the way Aryan? There were Aryan emperors, and oh. I think that the argument that well, the church only went Orthodox because Constantine went Orthodox. I think it falls short whenever you consider that there were Aryan uh, emperors and the church never went Aryan as a whole. And so there's there's just all sorts of problems immediately with that and with my comparison of Gnosticism and Arianism. Gnosticism was a much more popular idea even among secular okay. scholars. Right. They see Gnosticism as the one that would have competed against Christianity legitimately if there were such a force. Anyway, so I follow you. Like we, I follow you. I follow. I think I get it. I mean, if I would summarize it, what you're saying is, is even though at gunpoint there were, or again, it's sword point, there were people that were being. That there was an argument that that Arianism was the way to go. So, but you said that eighty percent of them, you were eighty eight, were either Arian, which or Orthodox, and that if you if you take that combination, only twenty percent were Gnostic. But even fewer than that were Aryan. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, yeah, and so, um, and and that's something that I'll probably study more because I am very interested in these arguments about orthodoxy because it does affect whether our beliefs are legitimate today. I think that I think that that conversation does, and so I would be going in it with the bias mentality. But also, I have to keep reminding myself that if what I'm believing is wrong, then I need to stop holding on to that belief. The problem is just the theories that people have about power, I think, are outdated. And so even if, like, like again, I'm going to go back to Constantine being orthodox, it doesn't Power doesn't work that way as far as Constantine being able to unilaterally throw around his weight. If the people are against it, we see it time and again in Roman culture, in Greek culture, in Central American culture, where the leaders aren't able to just unilaterally do whatever they want. They have to have a substantial, if they're going to remain in power. Like you said, if for a short period of time uh, they do something, they get away with it. That's fine. That doesn't necessarily indicate that the broader population is on board. But if it's something that stabilizes their rule rather than challenges it, then probably the large majority of the population accepted what Constantine was doing. And and I'll go back to the Aryan emperors. I don't think there's any indication that they were able to sway the church to go into Arianism. The church remained orthodoxy, even if there were challenges in the Baltics or wherever he said. And so that's kind of the that's kind of the theory of power that I'm seeing among secular scholars is that there were centralized authorities, regardless of who those authorities were, and they were able to throw around their weight and get the larger population to, to do to do what they wanted to do. And that this was 
this somehow became a stabilizing force. It's like that doesn't that doesn't necessarily work out well in Central America or Rome or in Greece. Why would it work out well in a church that doesn't have near the same level of power as these Roman emperors? All right. Well, I'm going to go back again and absolutely remind you, it's been 10 years since I've read Gibbon, mm-hmm. at least. All right. So let's start with that. But but I want to say this. What I what I if I said this, I didn't mean to say this. I don't think that that Constantine whatsoever thought he was forcing or strong army people to be Christian. I think that what he did was legalized. He said it was illegal to be Christian. It was illegal before him. And I will also say that he did. He wanted that council because he got tired of them arguing with each other. He got tired of the Orthodox and the Arians. Guess who stepped into the room? Dwayne is here. Do you know Dwayne? Hi, Dwayne. I don't think I do, Dwayne. It's Chris Witt. Have a seat. Turn on your mic. What are you doing? I was here to be a janitor today. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm not saying that, Jim. I'm not saying that he that he caused this. I don't. I think he. I think he. I think his mother was a Christian. He accepted Christ. I, I do believe he was a Christian, but I think that that he I think he had good intentions at Nice too. I think he wanted to to get it them to quit arguing, and but mm-hmm. he did sit on top of it. He did. He was there on top of all of those meetings, and when you have the king there, the emperor there, that that makes a difference. But where I'm going with it is is that I I do believe the only thing I'm going to say is this is that I don't know the numbers of Arians there were. I do know that Athanasius, is that how you're saying his name? I think so, yeah. He had to hide from the people wanting to be Arian, which means they were trying to, that clearly they were doing it at sword point. They weren't letting him debate with them. I want to say this, I can't name an Arian Western uh, Pope at all, that the Western Church stayed Orthodox consistently, never wavered. Now, there were some arguments at the time when, right about the time that the Western Eastern Empire separated, where there was a, a um, Eastern Orthodox Church, which means they were Aryan at the time. They, um, they, they one of the, the queens was trying, she was, she was Aryan, and the, um, and the Pope, Bishop, whatever you would want to call them in Rome at that time, prevented that church doors from staying open. So there was no there was no freedom to to be an Aryan in Italy at that time. That much I could say. But I got to go back and read this stuff, Jim. I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. No. And and I need to read it as well. It's just like I said, from glancing at it from reading over it um in books that I wasn't necessarily reading for the purpose of studying uh, Arianism. What the general idea that I have, and I don't think I, I don't think I've ever run into a historical argument that argued that uh, Arianism was a serious challenge to the church, like as far as recent scholarship goes. And so I haven't run in, across that yet. I probably will, but and whenever I do, I'll let you know what the argument is. But is the general gist that I've got is that it, there was a 
that there's a leader in the church who strayed. The church reacted against him, and an overwhelming majority at Nicaea, which was not even close, is like 250-something to three, voted against Arianism, and that was that at that council. I know that it still survives, but like you said, there are strands of things that still survive, like the Branch Davidians are still around, and I know that it hasn't been here long enough for them to die out, but Branch Davidians are still around. You got Jehovah's Witnesses, they're still, still around. Minority groups stay around for a very long time. Gnosticism still around. Yeah. So is Dwayne. <laughs> so is Dwayne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it's yeah. gonna be. It's ought to be a fun thing to see this paper develop. What do you have to say about all this, Pastor? I don't have anything to say about any of this. About <laughs> even, not even the denial that Jesus is the son, that Jesus is God. Uh, well, Jesus is God. Uh, he's referred to as Emmanuel, God with us. Kind of seems. seems I believe in the Holy Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem. It yeah. does, go ahead. Uh, no, I was, I was, I was just affirming what Christian. Yeah, it kind of seems hard. You know, you know when, where the Jehovah Witnesses they 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 their Bible they interpret it different. They go into the languages. That's why we need people like Jim learning the language, right? So they can they can dispute these things. But they 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 interpret it as say when in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. They're going to say they say was was a little G God is what they say. Now my mom. Cracked me up because one time some Jehovah Witnesses came over and she goes, "I thought it said that there was no to be no other gods before me. Who's who's this?" <laughs> you know, I remember her asking that question. It, it stumped them, but uh, that's they believe that they do believe that Jesus is the Son, but not God. Did they have a, a name before Jehovah Witness? I'm I'm sitting here thinking and. Uh, my grandma, who was born in 1900 in Appalachia, she uh, she mentioned to me one time a, a name, and I've been trying to sit here and recall it, and it was of some religion that apparently, uh, uh, maybe an offshoot of Christianity, that uh, that she almost went with. And so I know, you know, if she would have said Jehovah Witness, I would remember that. Uh, well, Mormons believe that. They believe what? That Jesus is son, but not God. I didn't I, I didn't realize that. But but that wasn't I would have remembered that name, too. I haven't. I haven't heard any. Is this on? Yeah, it is. I haven't heard any Mormons say specifically what you just said. Yeah, dig. But they're pretty much. I'm, I'm pretty sure I, about that. I do believe that. Uh, I, I'm. So I talked with some Mormons before I came over to Dallas. And I don't know if their views reflect the broader. But their emphasis is that Jesus is not the father, which is our emphasis. But they say that there are, that there are three persons with one purpose. And that's almost like our saying there are three persons with one essence. Like I, I really tried to get to the bottom of it. They never said that he was a father, but they did claim that he was God, it seemed. That's why I took it. All right. I'm going to say this, that I went to the uh, Mormon Tallywhacker, Mormon, Tal Tal Mormon Tabernacle. Is that what it is? Mm -hmm. 
and and they um they have a sort of you know how you how in the uh, in the Middle Ages those churches those, those big uh, cathedrals would have the stained glass that told the stories mm-hmm. you could read because you couldn't read you could see the stories. But they had one of those with both the pictures and the stories underneath it. Ancient is Instagram. All right there, you go. And and I'm telling you, that's what it said. I I'm not mistaken on that. I know that on that wall where it told the story of Christ, it said he Christ was the Son of God, not God. Okay. Now whether that's right or not, the wall said it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just this conversational form just just sparks something. So let's say that 2,000 years from now, you have historians who are studying Christianity in the United States, and they discovered that there's Mormonism, that there's Jehovah's Witnesses, that there were Branch Davidians, that there was Jonestown, um, and then, you know, whatever other varieties of Christians there are. Do you think that it would be fair of them to say that these Christianities, these alternate Christianities, were legitimate were in legitimate comp- competition with Orthodox Christianity in the United States. They had any chance of taking over. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's what I'm seeing in the first century is that, it, well, first, we don't have any evidence that there's a developed Gnosticism there. But even if we go to the second century and third century, that there were these Gnostic texts, do we have any evidence that they were legitimate competitors with Orthodox Christianity? And the manuscript evidence says absolutely not. And whenever I say manuscript evidence, what I'm saying is whenever we look at what was circulated in Egypt and what's surviving in Egypt, it's overwhelmingly New Testament documents. The gospel texts are very much in the minority. I mean, they're like a a fraction, a, a very, very, very tiny fraction of the overall manuscripts we have concerning Christianity at that time. And so that's essentially what I'm arguing is that is that it seems like these historians today are committing what my hypothetical historians are doing 2,000 years from now and saying, well, we see Jehovah's Witnesses, we see Mormonism, we see Branch Davidians, and we see Jonestown. These Christianity was widely diverse, and none of them had uh, had uh, more authority than the other in the United States. Uh, and we're sitting here looking at them 2,000 years from now, saying, you guys are idiots. All right. Let, let me say this, that Grok says these are the ones, and so I got close. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists, the, I've never heard of the Christadelphians, and the Church of <laughs> Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So in the United States, that's the three that believe that. And so I thought so. Mm-hmm. I thought that's what they believed. And I think Grok is right. He would he would mislead us, would he? Who's Grok? Grok is 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 uh, Elon Musk AI. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Is that the one you're going with now? Oh, I'm yeah. No, well, no. You know why I did it? Because it was on my iPad. I don't have another on the iPad. I have that one on the iPad. That's why I used it. No, no. Actually, actually, that's a long story that we don't need to go on here. I'll talk to you about that. You'll find it fun. Um. Okay. Anyway, that's. I, I get. I, I can summarize what you're saying. I really do. I think I can. Basically, what he's claiming is is that that orthodoxy, meaning that we accept Christ as our, that Christ is this is the Trinity, mm-hmm. that Christ died physically and rose 
physically, and that it, our acceptance of that idea is what is our salvation orthodox. Mm-hmm. Okay, that there, if there were any, there were no serious contenders to that. It was universally accepted in the early church all the way up through 100 and 200. They, you started seeing uh, some of these heresies come into um, being, but they were still small. They were not ever a serious challenge to Orthodox. And that even though there were powerful people who were Arians, did not believe that Christ was God, they were still in a super minority, and there was never a chance that that was going to t- become Orthodoxy, become the main view. Yeah, that's 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 my argument. Essentially, at least that's my hypothesis right now, being familiar with the evidence as I am. Okay, that's I, I can't argue with that's for sure. Glenn, do you have something you want to add to this? Um, and no, I think the crux of the whole I don't call it argument, but the discussion is that um, were there one orthodox church that was predominant, that that's why Constantine converted or made it the Holy Roman Empire, whatever you want to say. And, or were there a diverse amount of Christian sects that may have been Jewish sects, if you, you know, if you really want to talk about that, that emerged and that because of the, uh, I think it was Council of Nicaea, uh, they decided, no, this is the right one. You know, I think that's the crux of this argument. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, full disclosure, years ago I did read the Gosnick Gospels. Um, I found they were, they had some Eastern, I would call Eastern-like, uh, you know, the yoga-like uh <laughs> you know, ideas in them. Uh, it was a little different from, you know, current Christianity, but I didn't see anything that just slapped in the face. I thought it was interesting how they were found, these writings. I also thought it was interesting they used them as kindling for a while, the Bedouin tribesmen who found them. Uh, so there may be quite a few missing. Uh but, uh, you know, I, I, it was fascinating to me at the time when I read them. But I didn't find anything that challenged my faith, my beliefs. That's what I'll say. Yeah. And what's interesting about uh, some of these manuscripts is that uh, Christians are actively in search of early manuscripts pretty much uh, since the Enlightenment. But I don't think that this got into the minds of Christian monks who they were the custodians of a lot of these manuscripts. And whenever these manuscripts would get too old, they would put them in fires Um, and they would do so casually. They didn't think that they were doing anything that would really upset uh, historians. Well, there was one historian who went to a monastery and he was, he was on some sort of uh, field research, but he stumbled upon something in the closet or no, he stumbled upon certain documents that he saw that a monk was throwing into the fire. And he was like, these look really old. He asked the monk, Hey, can I take these to my room? And the monk told him, Oh yeah, sure. Like it's just trash. But yeah, these are, we just use this basket for kindling. 
And so he says, okay, well, I'm going to go read over these. And these were like second century and third century Christian manuscripts that he was looking at in his hand. And they became very popular manuscripts that Christians and well, secular and uh, Christian historians use. Um, And so as far as like the idea of preserving manuscripts, that's a relatively recent phenomenon. Okay. Anyway, that was just a that was just an interesting history. Thing. Yeah, history, history thing. So, yeah. you got anything you want to say to this? You jumped in the middle of the pool. Jumped in the middle of this thing. He's quiet. Have y'all already discussed the um the the Trinity the the splitting the hairs between the well Jesus is God or he's He's God, but he's different than God. Oh, yeah, that's what that. we're, that's kind of what we're talking about. And we're talking, we, we really, really, the real topic was not going to be airing. The real topic was going to be, was there some form of Gnosticism that was very popular in the first century? Because these, uh, these some, some manuscripts found in Egypt say something to the fact that they were, but there's no evidence. So the, yeah, so the, the Gnostics, the, yeah, and, and, to me, you, you got, they always talked about, within these manuscripts I read, they always talked about it's secret knowledge only some can understand. So how popular could that be? Yeah. That's just my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah. And so and I think that there are frequent allusions in Gnostic writings to there being the few. Um, and so you even have self-attestation of being in the minority. But again, I think the I think the big kicker is the manuscript evidence in Egypt, and I was going to go over this a little bit earlier. But Egypt is a place that offers a climate that preserves documents very well, versus the Mediterranean, where documents quickly dissolve and they're they are quickly destroyed. And so, a lot of manuscript evidence, regardless of uh, regardless of what historical strand it's coming from, whether that's Christianity or whether that's secular Roman culture or whether that's secular Greek culture, whatever it is, a lot of the manuscript evidence we get is from Egypt. Um, and the way that manuscripts circulated in the ancient era was whenever people, re- it was largely whenever people requested to receive a copy of something. And so you'd have someone make a copy for them and they would send it their way. Well, what the manuscript evidence in Egypt suggests is that there were a lot of people from all sorts of different areas who were requesting a copy of the New Testament versus other documents. And so even if Gnosticism had been established in the second or third century, the manuscript evidence demonstrates that it received nowhere near the circulation that New Testament documents received. And so the manuscript evidence is overwhelmingly in favor of New Testament, of the New Testament and Orthodox positions. Okay. Well, you left me speechless. <laughs> My God. <laughs> so we're going, but, uh, we're going based upon the written evidence as like votes. Is that, is that what we're, Looking at yeah, well, I think that it would be more numerical evidence. Yes, so like we that's sort of that's sort of one of the pieces of evidence that we can uh, extract is how many writings from the second and third century were that that we can find were New Testament versus Gnostic 
Um, and so it's, it's more of a, uh, what do you call it? Bean counting. You're like, you, you go and you look to see what all second and third century documents we have. And you say, okay, is this New Testament? All right, that's one. New Testament one. Gnostic one. Or, sorry, New Testament one, New Testament two, New Testament three, Gnostic one, New Testament four, New Testament five, New Testament six, New Testament seven, Gnostic two, New Testament eight, New Testament nine. And so you're pretty much just bean counting the whole way. And essentially what you say at the end is, all right, of the of all the manuscripts that we have from the second and third century, 98% of them are New Testament. And two percent of them are Gnostic uh, in origin. So, and we don't have enough. Be- and we don't have enough hanging chads with uh, the manuscripts. with with uh, manuscripts that were burned that we know about to make any educated guess there either. Right, because there's there's no evidence that um, that first, I don't think there's any evidence that you could destroy a religion. So we had the Jews trying to do that to the Christians. We had the Romans trying to do that to Christians. Christians tried doing that to Arianism. Arianism tried doing that to Christians. And there's just no evidence simply that there was a centralized authority that could absolutely wipe out a religion even if it wanted to. Um, these religions often go subversive, and we have modern-day uh, modern examples of that in China, in Latin America, in the Middle East. Like, you can't completely wipe out a religion. Or completely wipe out its documentary history. And so okay. by documentary history, I mean its manuscript evidence. If and there so was ever sec- if there was ever a focus of people trying to destroy religion, that would be the Jewish faith, and they can't do it. No matter how Correct. hard they tried, then they have tried hard to kill that Jewish faith and they can't kill it. Correct. I agree with and you. And we and we have we have a lot of Jewish documents that have survived. From the ancient period. So sort of the idea that the church eliminated the writings of Gnostics and Arianism, well, then that would be a significant anomaly from the rest of world history that demonstrates that just nobody else has been able to do that. So Christians were this superhuman force that were able to do that, and they're the only ones who've been able to do that. So I don't, like as far as your hanging Chad goes, saying that, um, because I think I'm getting you right, by Hank and Chad, you're talking about, well, maybe the Gnostic writings were uh, unevenly wiped out of the historical evidence right. versus Christianity. I don't think that that's the case. And I think that I think that you have a lot of manuscript evidence that was destroyed by Christian monks because the idea of preserving these writings wasn't necessarily popular until recently, at least as my understanding goes. Okay, I um, uh-huh. that's gonna it's gonna be fun to walk through this. That's for sure. Um, I will I will brush up on what I think I know. By the way, it wasn't Baltics it was Balkans. I knew I wasn't saying it right earlier. It was the Balkans, yeah. Yeah, I got okay. stuck in my head. We're uh, tally records. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot a lot of the history that you bring up goes way over my head. I I don't know near enough about it. And you know, I I called it the Council of Nice, the Council of Nicaea, as Glenn said. Um, and I didn't know, you know, the term for Arianism. So I'm a big bumbling idiot on this at this point, but hopefully by the end of the semester, I'm more educated on it. By the way, is Iran's name related to Arian word? I don't think so. I've been told it was. Really? All right. So see that Iran, 
I think where Zoroastrianism started. They were that that dualism religion. It was very popular in 600 BC. Um, but that would be possible because because that Arianism is a dualism. No, it's not. It's not a dualism. It's not. I don't know. I don't know how they get that. I don't know how they get that. Arianism is not dualism. Mm-hmm. Gnosticism is. So, I you know I will say this that I have read quite a bit of Zoroaster's work in their in the in the writings of their priests just because, and you do it's so dangerous because there's so much truth mixed in there that you can get caught up in it. You could get caught up in this. Okay, yeah, you got to just say that that evil is something separate from me, and just that's and it's not true. And 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 so that's the danger I think of dualism is you don't realize that you are a you are yourself a hypostatic. You you are a body, soul, and a, and a spirit, and that body is with you till you die, and that body's corrupt, and it needs to die along with Christ. That's we want we want to let it die, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Or is it and it raises at the end. What's that? Say it again. And it raises at the end, incorruptible. Right, right, right. So I find that interesting. And 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 again, you think you're bumbling about it, Jim? I hadn't even thought about these things except on here every now and then. I think I'm going to go back and read on it. But if you're going to, if that's going to be your project, I am going to go back and read everything that that Gibbon wrote on it, because I've told you before, the, the version I have of, of Gibbon's writings, the, it's the middle one. And it does have a, it, there's more, the, the, the one that I have, the version I have has more footnotes than it does Gibbon's writings because it's, 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 it's showing where he missed on the development of the, of Christianity. That he missed, it. he just missed, it. and that's that's and it's pretty much accepted that he missed. It. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? But what have I read? Just him. So in my mind, this is how the Christian religion developed, and I'm apparently been led astray by one of the most popular books ever written on the history of Roman Empire. So I'm looking forward to it because I've been needing to clean that up in my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and so just to, just to wrap up today, so that uh, I can get out of here and go to work. Um, I think the two primary arguments that, like on the face of it, I just have a problem with is that a centralized authority could unilaterally force out alternate religions whenever this was not an accepted practice in Christianity. Like Christianity was kind of okay with there being alternative Christianities or whatever. Um, I have a I have a problem with the centralized authority being able to do that, and then after that, that centralized authority not being challenged, but instead it seems strengthened. Just you know that there's a stabilizing force somewhere in there, and then also that uh, lack of manuscript evidence indicates that the early church destroyed all the evidence and completely wiped it out. Um, that's something that I would say if they were able to do that, then they were superhuman. Um, because that just hasn't been able to be done before, um, as far as I could tell. But yeah, so those are the two big issues that I have with the alternative Christianity theory. Well, I think that we ought to let 
the giant preacher finish it up. You got three minutes before you have to go, Jim. You're going to listen to this. Okay. You got three minutes to just to, to evangelize is what I guess I'm saying. Well, thank God the truth triumphed over all this evil. That's a good point. Yeah. That is a good point. No matter with no matter with all that big mess, we we still have it. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we can summarize. I'll also say that you know the other place where you could discover the truth more fully would be at the PJs in Horton. <laughs> delicious coffee, wonderful pastries, great boosted tea, uh, of course, uh, all natural Red Bull, and a zap chips lunch and breakfast sandwiches and of course in a wonderful environment where you can contemplate these thoughts and the truth more fully well i went to pj's in ruston does that count sort of <laughs> sort of yeah it'll hold ruston you over my stuff. it'll hold you over it'll hold you over till you get the hard Jim, thank you, buddy. It's been fun seeing you. I know you've been busy. We haven't even heard from you. You must be staying really busy in seminary, and we appreciate that. And yes. Chris, we thank you for braving the weather. Some people will brave it. Some will sit at home. And uh, Well, I came to town every day in my four-wheel drive truck. Did you really? Yes. And thank you, Dwayne, for dropping in, buddy. And uh, we, will, we will be back, um, to, let's see, tomorrow with who knows. Thank you guys. Something technology related. Something technology related. Thank you guys for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. See you later.